Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20, um, verses 1 through 18 is what we're going to be uh, studying this morning. In our last sermon from the Gospel of John, we learned that Jesus fully accomplished everything that was needed for our salvation, everything that was needed for our salvation. He perfectly kept the law of God. He perfectly fulfilled the promises of God, and he perfectly satisfied the wrath of God when he was hanging on that cross. It's, it's like he puts an exclamation mark on all of that when he cried, it is finished. It is finished. And because of this, we can have confidence. Do you have confidence? If you died today, do you have confidence that you would stand before the Lord dressed in his righteousness and his forgiveness? We should have that confidence. He wants to give us that confidence to stand as his sons and daughters. And because of that, we have comfort that sustains us and empowers us through every tragedy and triumph. And because of that, we have courage to proclaim the gospel in every neighborhood, in every nation. But the news gets better. It didn't stop at the cross, did it? There was a third day. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, is that third day, that resurrection Sunday. Um, and not only the fact of the resurrection, but what difference believing in a resurrected Savior will mean day by day for us. So even before, I, I've got to, I just need to say this. Um, last night, I was praying for, for our church family. And this morning, again, praying for our church family. Look at the name of the, the passage, or the sermon. It's called, Why Are You Weeping? It's just taken directly from the text. And I could not shake this thought. And I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm sensing that the Holy Spirit has put this on my heart. But I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a group of people uh, here this morning that the Lord wants to do it, just a deep work by his word and by his spirit in an area where you, have, you, you, might, be even, you might be currently experiencing kind of a weeping heart. But more specifically, this is kind of the, the, the I could not shake this, just so I kept praying. You know, sometimes there can be a, a situation where you've gone through a hard time and it's lingered so long you would still be described as in the condition of kind of being a weeping heart, but the tears don't fall anymore. You've just kind of gotten accustomed to living this life, kind of with a, with a part of your heart deadened. And, and you've, you've almost started believing that that's, I guess that's just the way. You still, you still believe in Jesus. You still have trusted him as Lord and Savior. But you're, you would still be among the weeping. It's just that your tears aren't falling anymore because you've gotten so accustomed to that condition. I think the Lord really wants to touch your heart today. Would you stand with me as we read, as we read his word together? John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to, your, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Well, Lord, we know that this, this is not just about Mary. God, as personally and powerfully and providentially as you spoke Mary's name, would you give us in this gathering this morning the grace to hear you call us by name so that you could transform our weeping into worship. We love you. We need you. Would you do a work deep in our heart of hearts that could only be attributed to you and only you could get the glory? Oh, Lord, thank you for your deep love. And we, we are so thankful that we worship a risen Savior. We believe it, Lord, but would you help our unbelief? Help us to live in the good of that truth more moment by moment, God. Lord, we would just confess to you, Lord, that, that we often treat the, our problems as though they're the, the, the things that are risen and reigning over our lives more than we acknowledge you as our risen Savior. 
So, Lord, please help us. We believe, but grow our belief, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever visited a cemetery where someone you loved was buried? Maybe go to tend the gravesite. Maybe to put some flowers there. Maybe to take away the flowers that were there. Maybe just a time to pray. Just a time to talk to the Lord. Uh, just about the role that person played in your past and thankfulness. And maybe just sometimes being silent. Sometimes being silent. Or, I don't know if you've anything like me, I, do you ever have a conversation? <laughs> I know that that person can't... can't hear me, but I, 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 you know, my, my grandparents on my dad's side are buried in Los Angeles, my mom's side are Amarillo, my dad, uh, several years before he died, he kept telling us, I want you to, I want to be cremated, and I want you to go to West Virginia, and I want you to scatter my, my uh, ashes in the backyard of my childhood home. And I said, Dad, do you hear what you're asking me to Dad, I will go to West Virginia. I'll go to your hometown. But Dad, <laughs> yeah, so I would say, Dad, what am I going to do? Go knock on the door and, have the, and say, hi, this is my dad. He grew up here. And he'd like to just have me spread his ashes here. Uh, dad, that, and especially when you have a face like me, Dad, I mean, they're going to think I'm coming to rob them. I mean, you know, this is not going to work very well. And... It ended up being amazing that he would get there and his house actually had burned down and all it was was kind of this foresty area. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so really the only gravesite of a loved one that I've, I've gotten to visit a little bit is my mom. And that's in my hometown of Los Alamos, New Mexico. And, and so, you know, I just get there and I, you know, I just, sometimes I'll just say, oh, mom, you know, I, and I, I do this with my, I've got pictures of my parents in my office. I mean, sometimes I look at my dad's face and, oh, dad, mom, I wish you could see. I wish you could. <laughs> I wish you could see the boys. Oh, I wish you could see. I wish you, you, you could know the kind of men that, that they've grown up to be, the Christ followers that they're always, listen, as good as the boys are, oh, man, their wives best daughters-in-law I could have ever dreamed of, best wives we could have ever hoped for for them. Oh, did I tell you about the grand girls? Oh, I wish you could see these grand girls. You would melt over them. And dad, and to my grandfather, dad, there's a prince. There's three grand girls, but there's a prince, dad. We have one that can carry on the name, you know, and so just all those kind of weird kind of things that uh, maybe you don't <laughs> I'll just describe weirdness to me. Um, it's an odd feeling, though, to sit by a graveside. Plenty of feelings about the past. Plenty of feelings of how much you miss them. Ongoing strong love for who they are and what they meant. With strong sadness about being without them. Death doesn't stop happy memories, but it sure can affect the way you look at the future. I don't know, sometimes I think that, that we think of loved ones that have passed away and uh, 
I think there's some diminished hope. Because especially if they've really meant something to you. Just some diminishing of hope, some weakening of our faith. Life was better with them, harder without them. Feels like a part of us. It's, it's like this part of our heart was buried with them. You ever kind of feel like that? They, they were so meaningful, so important. It's tough to face the future with only uh, three quarters of your heart. <laughs> you know, isn't it? The only thing that could make it better would be a resurrection. It's the only thing that could make it better. That's why we can identify with the sorrow and fear and weeping of Mary Magdalene this morning. And even better, we can experience afresh the reality and the love and the victory of worshiping a risen Savior. Because it's not the resurrection of my dad I most need. It's following a resurrected Savior I most need. And so do you. So do you. We'll, we'll get on with that. I'm, I'm starting to jump ahead. <laughs> just, let's just try to, try, to, try to follow the path, Billy. Try to follow the path. Here's our main point this morning. Belief in the risen Savior transforms our weeping into worship. And I hope you just saw that. It's pretty, pretty much right on the face of the text today. Here's our first point this morning. The resurrection or a robbery? Have you ever noticed how sorrow affects the way we interpret life? Resurrection or a robbery? Sorrow affects the way you interpret your life. On the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb early. It's still dark. And remember, that's Sunday. So really every Sunday, you know, the, the book of Revelation calls it the Lord's Day. And I think it's supposed to be an ongoing reminder that we don't just celebrate the resurrection on Easter. Every Sunday is to be a reminder for forgetters like me. I'm the king of forgetters. That I'm serving a risen Savior. I'm not, here, I'm not here to serve a historical Jesus. I worship a risen Savior. How about you? Who was this Mary Magdalene? Well, Luke 8, 2 and 3 says she, probably, she possibly came from wealth. That area of, uh, of, that, of that region of Israel was a wealthy area. But it also said she was possessed by seven demons. I don't know what that would be like. I know what it is to sometimes feel possessed by anger. I know how it feels sometimes to be de de uh, possessed by depression. I'm not ascribing that to demons. I'm just saying, do you, we, don't you know what it feels like to be owned by something? Like a feeling or an emotion. Well, she's literally possessed by seven demons. I don't know if you've ever done any ministry in the realm of, of deliverance for unbelievers that, that are uh, demonically possessed. When, we, when we're working with our friend in Asia, the pastor that we work with in Asia, he's constantly talking about, in fact, Alan, several services that we've been there. And just be in, I, I don't know if it's this, the spiritual climate with Buddhism and Hinduism, and there's a lot of, really, there's a lot of witchcraft type things built into those, those uh, religions. And, and you can go into a worship service, and, and, and you'll begin to hear this crying out, this growling, or someone falling down and, and foaming at the mouth. There's just been some really odd experiences. 
It's not just that. Whenever you're dealing with, with spiritual warfare, how many times is, is demonism, is, is, is um, being possessed or oppressed by demonic forces associated with mental health? Poor lady probably had some of that. Some of the people probably marginalizing her because she's just, she's just a mental health person, needs a mental health treatments, uh, possible addictions to drugs or alcohol or sex. Morality is not high on the list of demon-possessed people. Anger or violence can certainly come into play there. I just wanted you to get a sense of who this woman is and why she would feel so strongly about Jesus. It's thought that the woman in Luke that washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair was this Mary Magdalene. And you remember what Jesus said about her? She loved much because she was, somebody say it, she was forgiven much. You know, that's the key. You want to love people more? You, you, you go to the Lord and just keep asking him, please keep showing me the depths of my sin and the depths of your forgiveness. The more you understand how much you've been forgiven, the more you're going to love that's what this woman, that's who this woman was. And Jesus sets her free. She experiences the power of Christ's love in a very personal way. How about you? We believe in sound doctrine. We believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. God makes himself known and experienced in a personal way if you're born again. It's one of the great joys of being a believer is he's personal. And she's experienced him in a very personal way. She not only followed Jesus, it appears that she helped, helped fund the ministry through some of the wealth that apparently that she had. Not only that, unlike the disciples who were running away, she was faithful to stay by him as he hung on the cross, as our sin bearer, as he was taken off the cross, and, and even watched from a distance as he was carried to the tomb. And now that the Sabbath is over, she comes to visit his grave, to, to tend to whatever details did not get done in the, in the rush to get him into the tomb. She's not coming, though. All of that has happened to her. She's had an amazing past with Jesus. But now... She's not coming to the, to, to the tomb because she believes ah, he's risen. That's not why she's coming. She's coming filled with doubt and grief and fear and worry because she does not believe he's risen from the dead. She came because of what he meant to her before he died. Like us, lots of emotions for who he was, but no faith at that point for who he would yet be for her. She sees the stone rolled away, but doesn't respond with gladness, but with grief. I mean, think about that. I don't know what you, when you think of the Easter text, the resurrection text, I think we forget that, that somehow these people were so faith-filled. They, they just came marching to the tomb, filled with faith that he was risen. No, they were like us. There was so much to identify with here. We know he's risen, but aren't we still ruled by grief sometimes? She's coming with grief. The empty grave at this point is actually increasing her grief. The only thing more painful than burying someone you love is suddenly not having their body in the grave. Fear and worry and confusion are her response 
Because she's thinking that these are grave, grave robbers. That's what's happened to my Savior. That's what's happened to my Lord. And so she runs to tell Peter and John. And she did not tell Peter and John like we do on Easter Sunday. Christ is risen! And they go, oh yeah, Christ is risen indeed. You know, that's not anything here yet. That's not happening yet. They're not experiencing him personally as a risen, loving Savior yet. She comes to them and tells them, somebody's taken Jesus. And I don't know where they laid him. This was a robbery, not a resurrection. She had a deep love for Jesus, but his death tended to end her hope. Death quenched her faith, her grief, sorrow, worry, and unbelief. So please hear this. Her grief, her sorrow, her worry, her fear, her unbelief actually blinded her from the truth. It caused her to misinterpret what was happening around her. She wasn't being guided by Scripture. She had a, a great experiences with him in the past, but no, no, not really being informed about his present condition and about the future. She wasn't really being directed by God's Word at this point, though she would soon be directed by God's Word. Isn't it amazing how when you really hurt, how you can really misinterpret what's happening around you? So that's why I want to ask you some questions. How are you doing interpreting your life right now? I think if we're all honest, there would be pockets where we're not doing a great job interpreting our world because we're interpreting them by our feelings. We're interpreting by how we've been hurt by someone. We're interpreting them by our worry because of something going on in our finances or our kids or our health. And, and we're just really struggling to see life clearly. We're not interpreting the Lord very well. We're not interpreting other people very well. We're not interpreting ourselves very well. We have a lot in common with Mary. How many of us have had powerful experiences of Jesus' love in the past, but something so hard and hopeless has happened in your life that while you still have a love for Jesus and fond memories of how he's been in your past, the pain is ruling over you right now, and you have very little hope about the future. It's hard to imagine a future for some of us. In your disappointment, in your heartache, in the death of a loved one. How about this? Maybe it's the death of a dream. I just had an amazing conversation with our daughter-in-law, Alexis, and how the Lord used her to minister to my heart and what the Lord is showing her about his providence over her sorrows and, and how sometimes that she has to die to some dreams that she began. They weren't even bad dreams, but a dream that maybe tended to rule over her more than the Lord ruled over her. And sometimes those things have to be, be put to death so that, that God's plan can flourish and she can thrive in God's plan. So it's not just the death of a loved one. It may feel like the death of your dream, the death of what you thought was going to happen. Or maybe you're one of those people that it's like, by now, those, those two words can be a pain. Well, by now, I thought I would have what? 
thought I would have been married by now. I thought I would have had kids by now. I thought I would have been a pastor by now. I thought I would have, would have, whatever, you fill in the blank. Oh, man. All of that starts happening, and we can be bad interpreters of life. We misread what we see. We misinterpret our lives. We misinterpret others. We even misinterpret God. And isn't that what's happening to Mary? I mean, picture this, guys. It's dark, right? So the scholars think she's coming somewhere between 3 in the morning and 6 in the morning. She lo- the, the love, she had deep love for him, didn't she? She's coming, and she sees the stone roll away. But at this point, with her sorrow and doubt and worry and fear, that, that, that opening may have been a black hole from space. feel like it's eaten up every bit of hope and faith and future that you had. And you know what's, a, what's really sad about all that is that we can convince ourselves we're actually thinking clearly. <laughs> what difference would a resurrected Savior make to help you see your sorrows differently? What difference would a resurrected Savior make to help you see your losses differently, your sins differently, your sadness differently? What difference would a resurrected Savior make in giving you strength for today. Don't you love that little phrase in the hymn? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Well, let's go a little further and find out how the Lord responds to brokenhearted, misinterpreting life kind of people like us. Second point is that the resurrection calls for regular reflection. Do you do that? How much do you include the resurrection as a part of your regular discipline of Bible study? I think it's the same kind of thing with the second coming. How much do you include the second coming in your regular discipline of Bible study? Well, actually, we see some real intent focus here through Peter and John. So here comes the race to the tomb. John arrives first. I read the craziest things about this foot race. It's like, you know, I mean, anyway, I'm not going to get into all that. I wonder if John ran faster just because of that sense of, remember, he, pre, he did probably the best job of staying close to Jesus. Remember, he was at least at the cross. He might have run away initially, but he was close enough to hear Jesus say, behold your mother, mother, behold your son, right? So he at least did that. So maybe, did he run a little faster because of love? Maybe. Maybe. Did Peter not run as fast because of guilt? Maybe. I know, I know guilt slows me down. How about you? It can slow me down because I just don't know if, how well you're going to receive me if I've, if I've d- done something sinful against you. And uh, they get to the tomb. John looks in, but he doesn't go in. Interesting, the word, the word saw here is used in, 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 I think, three different ways. It says he looks in, he sees the linen cloths lying there, but he stops. He doesn't go in. Peter goes and goes straight in. He arrives and goes straight in, which is kind of fun because you kind of think, well, duh, of course that's what Peter does. <laughs> he's going to go in. He might have felt guilty, but he's just Peter. And so he goes right in. And he sees the linen cloths too, but here the word to see, and so here's what, I, that's what I'm going to ask you. I think the Lord's saying, I want you to look at the resurrection like Peter was looking at it. It means to reflect on it. He didn't rush. He was, it, was, it was to look and reflect and to meditate on, upon the evidence. 
so as to reach a conclusion. So he's studying it. This isn't just looking. This isn't a glance. He's studying it. At face value, so face value, let's start there. Grave robbers would never have just taken the body out of the cloths, especially as beaten up as Jesus was. You know, that would have been, oh, they would have never done that because speed is of the essence. That's like you robbing a bank and going through the serial numbers. <laughs> you know, well, let me, before, we, wait, 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 just a bit. I know I hear the sirens, but I got to make sure what these serial numbers, I mean, it's, it, you get out of there. Grave robbers, which were very prominent during that time in history, um, they would just have taken the body and ran. And they certainly wouldn't have cleaned up after themselves. Do you remember, did you get the part where there was the linen cloth right here, and then there was the face cloth, neatly folded and put the, oh wait, 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 I just want to leave the place nicer than I found it. No, it wasn't grave robbers. It wasn't grave robbers. They noticed that the linen claws, they're lying there as though the physical body of Jesus just passed through them. Remember, this is, I mean, because he's going to do that some more, right? We're in, the, in the next accounts, we're going to see that the disciples locked the doors for fear of persecution. And suddenly, surprise, there's surprise. <laughs> you know, there's Jesus. How did he get in there? Well, he's victorious over death. That's how he got in there. But if, if, if you could picture this, this is pretty boggling to consider. Think of him lying there with these linen cloths on, on and of course the face covering on, and then he just, he just rises. He's, he's, he's paid the price. Sin is fully paid for. God has accepted the sacrifice. So he just rises out of the claws. And it's like, it's like, it's like let's picture like the claws had air in them or something, and now the body's not there, and they just go, hmm. So they look a certain way. They're looking a certain way. It doesn't look like they're not just strewn all over the place. We're going to talk about another situation that, is, that we're supposed to contrast this resurrection to in just a minute. Um, the face cloth is put to the side as if to say, it's, it's folded up. You ever do that? We're getting, today, it's so weird. You know, when you've been in thousand degree heat for 17 million days, didn't today, I don't know, it's probably 85 or something, but, but today the breeze was blowing, and I don't know, I, I guess I was trying to will myself into thinking, it's chilly. <laughs> but as those cooler temperatures are coming, you know, so isn't it kind of fun to go home? It's kind of a cold day, not necessarily turn the thermostat up or anything, but get a favorite blanket. Just kind of, you know, and, and then it's time to get a snack, and you go to the kitchen, you get your snack, do you fold up your blanket? No, because you're not finished using it. You're going back to get your blanket. You don't fold it up every... Even when I'm finished... Honey, I'm sorry. Even when I'm finished using it, I don't fold it up. But, but when do you fold something? <laughs> I give her so much ammunition, guys. I, I give her so much ammunition. I, well, I, it's, it's my life. I, my life is ammunition, I think. But... Um, you fold something up when you're finished with it. And that's what this is saying. Death is defeated. Done with that. Done with that. Oh, that just thrills my heart. I hope it thrills your heart. 
The, the, the description of the linen cloths and the face covering was intended for them to consider the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. The way the language is, you go back and you look at the story of Lazarus, the true, the true story about Lazarus, and, you, and it, it, both accounts take very specific time to talk about how they were wrapped in the linens and covered with a face cloth. Both accounts were... Because I think the Holy Spirit is wanting us to contrast Lazarus' resurrection from the dead and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because though they're both, both resurrections, they're way, way different. Because remember, where, where are we going with all this? Mark, he saw the, the linens and the face cloth. Remember what it said? He believed. He believed. So there is much more that's going on here about this study than just there's, there's linens and face cloth. Oh, yeah, it must mean he's risen. Because that's not the attitude they brought to the place. That came from study. So as they're studying this, they're remembering Lazarus was resurrected too, but they're also remembering something Jesus said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And they're knowing that this man who says he is the resurrection had the power to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. Both are resurrected, but major differences. When Christ calls Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus would have come out, I don't know, hopping? I don't know. <laughs> it, it would have been interesting to watch. I mean, can you imagine just the, the people that were sitting there? Here he comes, I don't, shuffling? I'll be there in a minute. You know what? I mean, what's happening? He, he, but he's alive. He's alive. He's coming out of the grave. But he is still wrapped in the coverings of death. Just like you, in a very real sense, you and I have been raised in our salvation. Guys, if you don't understand that, you're, you're missing out on how great your salvation is. God took our dead spirits and regenerated them as we hear the gospel. And he raises us up from the dead. We have life eternal, justified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're justified. We're ready to go to heaven right then. But what you could say is, I guess we're raised, but we still have a death covering, don't we? And that's what Lazarus, Lazarus was raised, but the shrouds, the covering, the linens of death still covered him. Why? Because he's going to die again. This is really cool, Jesus. Thanks. I'm loving this raised stuff, but I hate to have to die twice. He's got to die twice. He's going to die again. You're starting to see some big differences, aren't you, between Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection was a miracle. But his resurrection was a restoration of his still fallen and sinful body. Don't forget that. It's a resumption of the normal fallen life he had before. He's still covered in that wardrobe of death because he's going to need all of that again. He's going to die again. 
But there's something so different in Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus, that his body was sown a natural body and it was raised a spiritual body. It was a physical body. Don't get me wrong. It's one of the things we believe about the resurrection of Christ. It's a physical body. He, Jesus eats the fish and, he, and he's, he's able to be held and he's a physical body. But there's a spiritual element to that glorified body now. And so he has powers, the powers that God would have. So he's got a physical body, spiritual power and authority. And as such, guess what? He doesn't need anyone to unwrap him, does he? He doesn't need anyone to unwrap him from those claws. He just rose up from them and through them. And he's making a huge statement that he would never die again. And if you trust him, neither will you. Neither will you. I'm the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. It's all because of what he's done for us. So to see that faith face cloth folded up, Jesus is saying, I don't need that anymore. Death is defeated. So this reflection, meditation, remembrance of God's word, remembrance of what Jesus said when he raised Lazarus from the dead caused John to believe. But at this point, did you notice there's still need for more scripture? So he believed. He believed that he had resurrected. But verse 9 says, but there was still more need for scripture. There's still scriptures that they had not yet fully come to understand. And those 40 days that Jesus was with them, he's going to be doing a ton of Bible study and they're going to understand those things. But, but the resurrection had not yet become personal to him. So again, so try to turn this out to where, where are we? Do you believe that Christ rose from the dead, but that's not made a difference to you in regard to him being personally involved in your life? You have an affection for him, your desire to glorify him, your desire to know him better, hearing him speak to you through scripture day by day. Well, for Peter and John, they just went back to their houses. That's kind of where they were at that point. When we look back to Jesus' resurrection, here's some really good news for us. We're also looking forward to what our resurrected bodies will be. He was the first fruits. Do you realize when we die, the news of our death will be greatly exaggerated. I'd love to say that. We'll never be more alive in Christ, and it'll only get more wonderful when Christ returns in glory, and we have all received our resurrected bodies to enjoy eternity with our Lord and with one another forever. That's a great, that day, oh Lord, bring that day. Bring that day. So, we've got Mary's initial response. We've got John and Peter's initial response. Now let's look at how the resurrection transforms weeping into worship. Did you notice how many times the word weep or weeping was used in that last section? Again and again and again. And that's why I felt so strongly that the Lord really wants to speak to our hearts today. And that the, the reasons for weeping are probably as numerous as the, however many people that are in here. But, the, but there's a depth. This word weeping is wailing. It's that, that crying where you, where you start, you, it maybe starts just kind of soft, but you just give into it. And it's, you, it, there's a heaving to it. The ladies call it ugly crying. 
She didn't go. She, as, as sorrowful as she was, as mis, misinterpreting her life as she was, she didn't go off to her house. She stood weeping at the tomb and she looked into it and she sees two angels seated, one where his head was and the other where his feet were, with the blood-stained linen claws lying between them. And suddenly, y'all, the empty tomb looks very much like the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant, which was, was both in the temple and in the tabernacle, uh, in that Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the, the, there were two angels and there was a blood-stained mercy seat. Guys, can you go and put that picture up here? So I want you to think about what the, what the scripture says about what Mary sees when she goes into the tomb. She goes in and sees two angels sitting at the, one at the, the, where his feet were and one where his head were. So in this Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and what would he do? He, he would sprinkle the, the blood of the innocent upon that, the, the, that lid is covering the, 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 law, the law, the commandments of God. So that lid where the blood is being sprinkled is called the mercy seat. Well, picture what she's watching. She's walking into that. She's walking into an angel here, an angel here, and the blood-stained linens of Jesus' death between them. It's, it's like she's walking into this living reenactment of the mercy seat, but it's a better mercy seat. It's a better Ark of the Covenant because the Son of God was the sacrifice. It was His blood that was shed. And it's interesting because this is what, as you go back and you study some of the, the Old Testament theologians, they said that God postured, as He gave the instructions for how to build this Ark of the Covenant, you see where the, the faces of the angels are looking. It's, it's like they're looking at Innocent blood was sacrificed for guilty sinners to, to reconcile these people to a holy God. And it's like they're looking at this blood and they are totally amazed at mercy and grace and love from a God like this. It's a, they're just amazed. So that's what Mary is walking into. And the angels speak to her. And they say, woman, why are you weeping? Guys, she's seeing angels, but she's still not believing. Do you ever sometimes think, I wish, if, I, if, I, if this person I've been praying for could just have this experience, that will cause them to believe. She sees angels. She sees a reenactment. like a, Literally, the Holy of Holies has come to visit her. Blood-stained of the innocent Lamb of God. Angels standing in awe of what the Lord has done. And they speak to her, but she's still not believing. And then she sees Jesus. But she doesn't see Jesus. She saw a gardener. Now, this is kind of cool. The first Adam was a gardener too. He made a mess of that garden, didn't he? I guess you could say Jesus is the second gardener. He's the second Adam. Adam that we all came from introduced death into our lives. Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, is giving life eternal 
to all who believe. So it's kind of a cool thing that she's thinking that he's the gardener. He's, he's a better gardener than she would ever imagine. And probably because of his glorified body, but maybe because also she didn't expect to see him. She, she's looking for a dead body still. There just wasn't a context maybe to see him. Has that ever happened to you that you're, you're at an airport and you're, you know, here we are in Midland, Texas, but you're up in Podunk, Maine. If you, Maine is a great state. I don't, that's not good. Podunk. That's, you're up in Washington, D.C. and you're, you're, you're at the airport and somebody taps you on the shoulder and you look at them and it's someone you know. But you can't have a, you're going, I don't recognize you because it's not a context where that happens. The person reminds who they are and all that kind of stuff. Well, she's just not relating to Jesus as the risen Savior. She's relegated him to history. He's a historical Jesus, a Jesus who blessed me when I was younger, set me free from demon possession. But I guess my best days with Jesus are behind me. I'm just glad to be saved. Um, I guess I'll just endure until he comes. And Jesus now asks, why are you weeping? And she says the same thing. She's still misinterpreting her life. She's still misinterpreting God. Until she hears Jesus say, Mary. You know, that's the goal of every sermon I preach, every sermon Alan preaches, every sermon Eric preaches or Hugh preaches. That, that you would hear God through his word speak your name. Because this isn't just about Mary. This is about you. And your hurt or bitterness or unbelief causing you to misinterpret the world. Your doubt and your, your, your hopelessness and feeling like your best Christian days are behind you. Whether your weeping is current and you just stained your pillow last night with your tears or your tears have just dried up but you're still in the category of the weeping. Oh, how the Lord wants you to hear him say, Jam, JT, Josh, Kenzie. And Jesus, the empty tomb didn't open her eyes. The angels recreating the Ark of the Covenant didn't open her eyes. The angels speaking to her didn't open her eyes. It was hearing the word of God that opened her eyes. You have access to that same word of God. You need your eyes open. You need your heart healed. Quit looking for angels and visions and all these experiences. We're all for spirit-given, word-informed experiences. Praise God for that. Praise God for the gifts of the Spirit and the manifest presence of God. But what we most need, precious ones, is God speaking to us regularly. And we're so glad that he does, aren't we? There's something about the power of a voice of someone who loves you that makes all the difference in the world. Ah. Jan, how long before Will was born that you got into the car accident? A couple of weeks. A couple of weeks before, before our firstborn. 
totaled the car. She was on Interstate 10, was it 10, in New Orleans. And uh, she totals the car, and so she, they take her to the hospital, and, and I'm just barely holding it together. I'm trying to be strong. When I talk with her, I'm trying to be strong. Then <laughs> I, I call my dad. Dad, will you pray, Jan? Jan was an accident. You know, the baby's just two weeks away from being born. And uh, dad, and, and I hear my dad's voice. <laughs> I just start crying. It's because I felt like I'd, I, I can lean on this guy. This is, his voice means something to me. He loves me. He's going he's gonna to care about this. Even to this day, my dad played a musical instrument called the Bones, and sometimes uh, they, they'd made a video of him. It's called Bill Ray's Plays the Bones, if you ever want to go look at it. Actually, don't do it. Invite me to watch it with you. Um, and I watch it sometimes because I hear my dad's voice. I can forget what my dad's voice sounds like. And as sentimental and mushy as that is, hearing my dad's voice doesn't take my fears away. Hearing my dad's voice doesn't restore hope to my soul. Hearing my dad's voice doesn't give me hope for the future and, and power to serve the, the almighty risen Savior. But this voice will. He's risen. He's speaking to us today. That's why it's important to wake up five minutes earlier. Come on, guys. He wants, to, he wants to speak your name and to touch your heart and to dry your tears. I mean, really, this is the first, probably the, the, the foreshadowing of Jesus wiping all of our tears away in wiping Mary's tears away. So what is her response? It's the same thing, the same response we should have week after week, day after day. She's the sheep that's hearing the shepherd's voice. With one word from the risen Jesus, despair turns to hope, pain turns to praise, hurt turns to, to hope, and weeping turns into worship. Christ's word did what, what sight could never do in bringing her healing. And what does she do? She falls at his feet in worship. When it says she's clinging to him, Matthew 28, 9 tells us that. The woman took hold of, there's, there's more than one woman around. They, they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. She's on her face. She's in a posture of worship. She's clinging to her feet. She's going from this horrible, ugly crying, this weeping, to now rejoicing and holding him. And he says that the, the language is not don't cling to him. It's not like Jesus wasn't a hugger, okay? Um, no, he was a hugger. Look at the prodigal the story of the prodigal son. God's an embracer of people. We're so glad because we're like that son who needed to come home. And so he, he's, he, it's not that he's not a hugger. He's, ex, he's accepting the expression of affection and devotion and worship. But the literal translation of that is, don't keep clinging to me. You know, it's that feeling like, have you, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling with somebody. You lost someone. And then they were fat. Maybe, how about this? I don't know, your kid, you're in the mall or you're in the airport and you lose track of your kid and you get them back. Do you, <laughs> well, maybe sometimes we get a little bit mad first. What are you doing running off? No, I don't, I think this is, it's like this. You hold them. And the kid's going, this is a long hug. <laughs> you know why? You don't want to let them go. 
I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. And then Jesus says to her, it just gets better from here. Quit, quit clinging to me here. That's kind of been your problem. You're just viewing me as, as a hum, just a human being, a person limited in time and space and dimension. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And you know why that's going to be good for you? Because I'm going to send my spirit. And my spirit's going to join himself to you. And you'll experience a love from me that you've never experienced before. As good as it was, as good as, as, as those three years were, however many long years she was serving him and following him, as good as that was, it only was going to get more profound, more powerful, more empowering, more affectionate, more life-giving because he would send the spirit, his very spirit to indwell us. And not only experience his presence, he says, I'm going to go to my father and your father. My God and your God. Because he wanted us to experience. I just want to say this. For those of you who have trouble identifying with God as father, Jesus paid the highest price to redeem whatever rotten relationships you had with earthly dads. He paid, he shed his blood to give you a perfect father that will be more influential than any bad dad ever could be in your life. That's what's happening with this resurrection. So the last part is this, Josh, let's go ahead and close. The last part of this story is that this, her weeping is turned to worship, but her worship turns into witness. Verse 17b, he says, go tell my brothers. That's really fulfilling the messianic promise from Psalm 22. And, and, and Jesus says, brothers, what is that about? Well, just because Jesus is God's son, Jesus is giving us relationship with the Father. And in that sense, he is, you could call him our, our savior brother. He is a brother to us because we have a common father. But what, what the theologians and historians marvel at is that the first person to be able to announce Jesus is risen was a woman. And all the women said, amen. amen. You should say amen. It just really just emphasizes the complementarian value that started in the Garden of Eden and how God has designed it. Is there a leadership role in Peter and John's life? Oh, you bet there was. But isn't it wonderful that none of us can fulfill what God's called us to do without the help of someone else? And so God speaks to her and he says, I'm going to give you the privilege. You're going to be the first one to make the confession. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He's wiped every tear from my eye. I'm new. I have hope. He's, he's, he's our reason for living and we need to go tell the world about him. Would you stand? Guys, I don't know how... This is the shortest manuscript I've had maybe in the history of my life. <sighs> the reason I say that is I... I want us to be a praying church. I, 
I know we need to pick up kids, and that's, that's why I, I just thought, I thought, we're going to have 20 minutes. <sighs> Don't rush away. The best way we can ever respond in our devotions on, on, on a day by day and a Sunday morning, we're not just a religion. We're not, we're not trying to beat the Baptists to the cafeteria. We're meeting with God. And how many times has God touched our hearts on a Sunday morning and, and we go, oh, that was good. That's, that's, I feel a little bit better. But the Lord is saying, well, let's talk about it. Why don't you spend a few moments in prayer with me? Watch what I do as a follow-up in just the personal encounter that we have with God in prayer. Um, Kenzie, Casey, and Randy, I think you guys are on our prayer team. If you guys would come up this morning to be available for anyone who wants prayer. But I'm going to ask this too, parents, let's try to keep this place quiet up here. Um, it's just so easy to lose sight of that. Listen, you may, it, and I'm not saying you have to come up and, oh gosh, there's so many things to try to explain. We don't believe in altar calls in a, as a manipulative way to get you to do something. But I just will tell you, there is something about, if you can, getting on your knees and turning your heart to the Lord. If you just want to come and pray by yourself, come on, pray by yourself. If you want to pray with people, come pray with people. If you want to just say, you know, I'm going to sit here for a minute in my seat and God is speaking to my heart, and he is, he's healing my broken heart this morning, and I, I don't want to leave this room without telling him thank you. If you need heal for healing for a, a sick body, if you need wisdom for a decision you're making, come and pray. Come and pray. Josh, go, go ahead.